Um, have you seen this video? This is a Twitter video of a guy doing circles around a tornado. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know what to say about this. Well, I do know what to say about this. This is nuts. This is crazy. I don't know if there's audio. There must be audio. I can't, I've got the audio muted. I've got mine turned down too. Yeah. Um, I, I, so I don't know whether he's like giving us some sort of casual narrative or whether he's screaming. Um, but, uh, he doesn't every now and then we see his face and he doesn't seem to be panicked, but, uh, and it's not a tornado. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a tornado, but it's, it's not, it's a, yeah, it's a vortex. It, it's a, a funnel it's cloud. A spout, yeah, right. It's a funnel it cloud. Water, and, yeah. Yeah. Funnel and cloud. It doesn't look like it's hit the ground yet. It right. Hit the ground. But nevertheless, if his wingtip touched that thing, um, I got to figure that well, all he's a, he's a good two or three, well, no, he's uh, a good five, five, 500 yards from that, that, the way, you, you think the, way so? the airplane is is turning and the, the relative speed, et cetera, yeah, he's he's not. I mean, he has no danger of putting his wingtip in there. He has a danger from other things, yeah. but um, I don't think he's going to put his wingtip in. It. Yeah, every now and then you see video of like a traffic heli- or weather traffic helicopter uh, on you know at the edge of a city where there's a tornado in you know nearby, and that always struck me as being crazy dangerous. But uh, um, well. Yes, I, I mean I, it's not something I would I would do. Uh, and this is a little bit over the over the uh, over the top. Yeah, I mean, what do you uh, think would happen? So, so imagine he did get his wingtip into this this funnel cloud. It would roll him. It would roll that wingtip upward, right? I, I, I don't know. Is the quick answer? It's going to change the angle of attack of the wing. Because um, that that that, as I understand it, that funnel cloud is an updraft. It's spiraling up, right? Probably is, yes. And yeah. so if he got his wingtip into it, it would raise that wing and might even roll him over. I don't know. It's- it, it, it certainly could. As I say, it's going to change the angle of attack of the wing. If you, if you flew the whole airplane in there, it would probably be better. Um, quote, unquote, better. Let me, let me put finger quotes around better. Right. Um, Sticking one wing in it would not be my first choice. If I, if someone were paying me real money to fly an airplane through that, um, sticking one wing in it would not be my choice. Yeah, I would want to be as centered as possible. That's true. Yeah, David, were you going to say something? Well, it's obvious from the video that the guy is, is under control. Yeah, he's not being influenced. His aircraft's not being influenced by the funnel cloud that's over there. The funnel cloud is weak. It's not yet to the ground. I wouldn't want to go there. Yeah. 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 Grady County, Oklahoma is what it's tagged on the screen. Where's Grady County, David? Do you know? South. You don't know, you don't know every county in Oklahoma? What the I'm, heck? I'm shocked. I know. It's, uh, the it's, hell is going it's on? South, it's south of me. So, well, of course, yeah, all oh, of Oklahoma is Oklahoma south of Oklahoma is south of you. Right. Okay. All right. Well, anyways. You I don't, don't know. know the counties in Oklahoma. I want my money back. I know. He knows. He knows. Uh, he know. Oh crap! Now see, oh, getting old is so sad. What was the name of the town where the pancake breakfast was? Is Ponca, Ponca City. City. Ponca City. Ponca City. Um, and uh, and I'm but, guessing Ponca City is not in, uh, it's in Shelby Ponca- County or whatever this is. No, I was going to say that's Ponca. Dude, there's County. this there's this new thing. Yeah. Okay, it's called the internet. <laughs> I know. Yeah, but there's there's this better thing, which is ask your two friends. They might know. Uh, Yeah. Never mind. That is all. That is all. Welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson coming to you from, uh, it's about to storm big time, uh, 
uh, on the banks of the Cochico River, Dover, New Hampshire. You're remnants of Elsa? Not uh, I wouldn't call it remnants because El- Elsa is actually going to arrive in our area on tomorrow, they say. Okay. Um, I think this is something else. I suppose everything's connected. You know, it's all from the same butterfly in uh, yeah. Taipei, you know, but yeah. um, uh, Taipei, I don't know where that came from. What's the saying about it? A butterfly flaps its wings on the far side of the world and it causes yeah, a hurricane. Uh, butterfly, and- yeah, butterfly flaps its wings in South America or whatever the country was um, in Argentina or something. Right. Yeah. Uh, then it generates a hurricane in, in the Gulf. Yeah. So anyways, um, yeah, well, it's been raining. We've, it, we've been under drought conditions here for, for literally <laughs> a year. Um, and, uh, um, they, we've got, they've got us under water restrictions here. You're not allowed to water your grass, things like that. Um, they, they don't want you washing your car, um, using with your garden hose. You can wash your car at a, an official car wash because they recycle the water or something like that. But anyways, we've been under drought conditions for a year now, and uh, we've suddenly gotten about five inches of rain in the last week, um, which for us is a lot. Um, and so, uh, um, but... Uh, what was the rain? Uh, Amy's got that beat. Yeah, I know. Week. Amy's got that beat. Um, uh, uh, speaking of having it that beat, um, uh, I'm spe- here in my, my virtual, our virtual hangar with my two good friends. Uh, one of them is uh, from ever wet and rainy uh, uh, Sarasota County, Florida. That's <laughs> uh, Jeb Burnside. Good morning, Jeb. How are you? I'm I'm well. I'm drying out. Yeah, yeah, because um, you did have a close pass with Elsa, right? Yeah, we did. Um today's thursday so this was tuesday night yeah um it, it was kind of weird because you know i was expecting a lot more drama out of it yeah um and and kind of prepared for a lot more drama i checked the the uh, generator and got all the loose stuff uh, um, off the off the lanai and things like that and uh i can't tell that uh, there was really all that much wind out of it. There was a lot of rain. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to go with six inches, um, but uh, I'm trying to load uh, uh, weather service here. Um, uh, precipitation, yeah, that's not. That's well, I've not, got. Uh, I direct. Yeah, I called but, your attention yeah. to. Uh, there's this cool um, citizen. Um, you know, uh, uh, a collected data thing called Cocorahus. Cocorahus. It's an acro- It's a weird acronym. It stands. You're gonna for, have to send that link. Yeah. Uh, hang on. Let's see if I can do that here. Let's see. Do this. Copy. Go over here. Type. Paste. Hit return. See what that yeah. link does for you. Um, so this is a citizen uh, group of volunteers all over the United States that go out every morning and and read, you know, they, they have weather station stuff in their yard and they record how much rain fell in the previous 24 hours and then they post it to a website. Oh, that's cool. And uh, you can go in here. So what, you're, what I sent you was the last 24 hours as of this morning. And then you can manipulate the date information. You actually click the down. There's sort of up-down arrows there. Uh Um, And if you click the down, it'll take you back a day and then back a day. And uh, I think that going back one day takes you to the result. So according to this, your area had, in 24 hours, had two two inches of rain, three inches of rain. But not um, far south of you, Port Port Charlotte, um, which isn't... isn't, Yeah, this this says actually... Closer to my residence, um, says uh, between two and ten. 
yeah. the highest, the highest, and the, one of the closest um, uh, dots, if you will, to where I live uh, was four and a half to 10, 11 inches. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, yeah, we got some rain. So it rained pretty uh, good down there. And Amy yeah. reported, what, nine inches or she something? She reported like that? nine inches. I'm going to stick them with six here. Yeah. Uh, so. This is what I'd heard. And it, it, you know, I had all kinds of standing water. The lake was out of its banks and yada, yada. Uh, but a lot of that has, has well, all of it, the, the lake's back within its banks now, a day later. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got a little, couple of showers. Um, that kind of, it's actually a pretty nice day here, fairly low humidity and uh, some some cloud cover, uh, some broken uh, CU yeah. that's keeping the heat down. So it's not a bad day. Sounds good. Sounds yeah. good. And our other friend here in uh, the virtual hangar is uh, from the air capital of the world, someplace near um, somewhere near Ponca City, Oklahoma, <laughs> somewhere near Grady <laughs> County, Oklahoma, uh, in uh, which does uh, is Dave Higdon. Good morning, David. How are you? Good morning. Uh, 50 nautical miles from Ponca City. Everything uh, is lovely today. Yeah. Now I'm scrolling on this weather, this precipitation map to find Wichita. Where are we here? Okay. That's Texas. That's Oklahoma. Here's Wichita right here. So Wichita in the, let's see here, zero rain in the last 24 hours. Yeah, zero rain in the last 72. Yeah. Now you can actually, one of the things I like doing here is actually go for a week. So we'll do uh, from this day to this day. And in the past seven days, according to this, you've had about a quarter quarter inch of rain. So huh. it's kind of dry out there. Anyways, yeah. I like this site. Um, and uh, because I'm a weather geek, especially in the wintertime, I'm a weather geek. It reports snowfall in the wintertime. It's Coco yeah. Rajas. If anybody wants to look it up, it's... it's look at rainfall for us the last 14 days. Oh, okay. I'll go back to that. Um, what is the snow you speak of? Yeah, I know, huh? Uh, Coco Rajas. I don't know how you pronounce it. I pronounce it Coco Rajas. C-O-C-O-R-A-H-S dot O-R-G. It's a cool program. Cool uh, website. Uh, what's going on, David? How are you? What's 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 up there? Uh, it's a lovely day in the neighborhood, as Mr. Rogers would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, low 70s, no wind, no humidity. Well, low humidity. Uh, and uh, been hearing a little bit of light airplane traffic over the house this morning. So people are practicing or production flight test or something out of uh, Eisenhower, the former mid-continent airport. And uh, and looking ahead to a working weekend, unfortunately. Yeah, but that's, I don't know. I'm sorry you have to work on the weekend, but it's good that you've got work. I'm happy for that. I'm not complaining about having work. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways. Yeah. Uh, we've got a couple of follow-ups here. Um, so uh, a bunch of episodes ago, we talked about um, the uh, the the uh, there was a court ju- case a judgment um, regard, and the, the 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 court case was very limited initially. It, it had to do with one particular flight training operation and whether it was okay to use um, these these particular category aircraft. I think they were restored warbirds, um, limited and, category, limited category, um, and uh, and the the judge involved uh, ruled that 
um, it, it now it gets kind of complicated whether or not you're like what kind of commercial operation is flight training and whether it is permitted in this limited category. Um, um, what where it got where it got funky was, and we talked about this, where it got funky was that the judge kind of then went on a, <laughs> a flight of fancy um, and, and sort of ruminated that, in fact, this, this commercial flight, you know, off, what's the word? There's a terminology here. Um, um, holding forth. Um, yes. um, could well apply to a number of different kinds of flight training situations. Um, and uh, suddenly um, all kinds of flight training is, is, at, is in danger of being prohibited because it's commercial aviation and, and you're not allowed to do commercial aviation in certain kinds of airplanes. And it's a big mess. So the alphabet organizations all uh, did their thing and spoke up and said, went to the FAA and said, FAA, you know, this is a weird thing that happened. We need you to clarify it. We need you to explain and, and kind of um, officially say that it's not against the rules to do flight training in all these kinds of airplanes. And FAA came back, and if I'm reading this correctly, FAA came back in their wisdom and basically said, yep, it's against the rules to do flight training in a lot of these airplanes. And so now it's a bigger mess than even before. Yeah, yeah. Um, Is that now, have I summarized this correctly? Is that I, I haven't. I haven't read all this. Uh, I, I was aware of the original court decision. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't really looked into it since then. Yeah, well, my reading of the FAA's, and so the FAA has not officially responded yet. Apparently, they they sort of hinted, or however they do it, there's some unofficial way they're saying we're going to issue a letter, and here's what the letter is going to say, even though they haven't officially said it yet. And my take on it, and David, you follow this stuff pretty closely too. What's your take on what the FAA said here? Well, they're trying to. They're trying to make it okay to get flight training in limited category aircraft, uh, you know, uh, pending the flight instructor meeting all the uh, requirements. And no, wait, when you say they, you mean the FAA or the Alphabet yeah. Organization? The FAA. The okay. FAA. Yeah. All right. It, uh, See, I read this but, thing as that them not moving it in that direction, and, and quite frankly, I read this as FAA moving it even more away from making it okay. Yeah, it's this is muddled. Yeah, to say yeah. the least. Um, I mean, right here, when a student is learning to fly an airplane, the student is the court wrote in this decision. Uh, when a student is paying for the instruction, the student is being carried for compensation. Uh, okay. Uh, I heard somebody, t- or I saw something online. It says, well, uh, I got an experimental aircraft. It's mine. Does this mean I can't get flight instruction in it where I pay the flight instructor? Because that would be flying for compensation. Yeah. And that's exactly it, the muddled question. Yes. Right. And it, I think the FAA is trying to find a way to winnow or uh, weasel through the court decision and issue a clarification that says, no, that's not the way we meant it. Uh, But so far it's, it's just really screwed up a lot of uh, flight operations that give instruction in old warbirds. uh, Right. Right. that are being operated. They're not experimental amateur built and they're not FAA part 23 or part 25. They're, uh, 
how'd they put it? Uh, special approvals for this. Yeah, they're talking. This got started with uh, with this limited category um, operation, and um, the language on limited category flight instruction is a flat prohibition. um, Whereas in other category, other how should I put this? Other non standard categories, uh, uh, utility, for example, aerobatic, and uh, normal categories of certification. There's no such um, thing. You can do flight instruction. Experimental, um, according to this article, experimental and primary category aircraft um, use the same basic language as uh, prohibiting flight instruction as the one, as a section involving limited category aircraft. All this is, is getting way out of control. Uh, it seems like, and all the FAA really had to do is simply say, under um, historical regulations and a historical use, um, flight instruction is not carriage. It, it is not uh, transportation by air. It, the, the flight the, the instruction is being conducted from point A to point A. It's not you're not holding yourself out for transportation right. of of persons or or things for hire. That's all they really had to do here. And I think they've kind of screwed it up. They kind of have. And maybe the, you know, they'll clarify it when the actual letter comes out. Um, But yeah, it's kind of a little bit of a mess right now. Um, I would imagine though, that people are still doing this kind of training pending the sort of official outcome of this, or or are there, are there training training operations that have been suspended as a result of this? Have you heard? I have, I have not. Okay. I haven't. Not, I, I thought about reaching out to uh, Stallion Fifty One, uh-huh. uh, yeah, because they operate uh, a couple of aircraft that are in the uh, limited category. Uh, Lee Loudenback flies them in the uh, air shows, does demonstrations in the Mustang, uh, but he has a letter of deviation authority to that you know grants him. It, the uh, ability to do this without violating any regs. Mm-hmm. But they also give in fl- just straight-up flight instruction in the two-place Mustangs that they've got. Right. And I haven't reached out to find out whether they've suspended that pending the clarification from the FAA. Uh, but knowing those folks, the way they do, they're not going to risk their whole operation. Right. Yeah, uh, doing this. Just- and this whole thing got started because a Florida-based operation with a two-seat Curtis P forty, um, in the certificated in the limited category, basically refused to get a letter of, of deviation authority from the FAA, even after the FAA came to them and said, "Hey guys, you know we see you're doing this, you're you're violating the regs." Uh, let us help you get a load of, uh, to do oh, this. Okay. And, and they basically refused and said, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. And, um, Which that's kind of, where this, that's yeah. where this case arose. Who was the, who was the plaintiff in the, in the original suit? Who, who actually. The sorry. FAA, Department of Justice. So FAA was. It wasn't, it wasn't a suit. It was, uh, an enforcement action. Oh, okay. And, and the operator appealed or questioned 
the FAA's ability to, I, I don't remember the exact uh, uh, legal basis that it went to court and, uh, and went before wow. this judge, but um, the judge in that in rendered this decision that said, you know, you're carrying somebody, get a grip here, guys. And that's not the way this works. Yeah. Okay. I hadn't realized that the FAA was the quote unquote plaintiff, um, which kind of, in my mind, begins to explain why the FAA didn't immediately turn around and say, no, never mind. This is not a part. This yeah. is not, you know, yeah. they, they sort of have to now defend their position. Um, and so, oh, anyways, I, I got to figure that this is a question that's going to come up in the meet the boss session. If it happens, you think there's going to be a meet the boss session? I, I sure, of course there. I don't know. I hope so. We're talking about Oshkosh, folks, um, and uh, one of the uh, one of the uh, annual sessions, usually, anyways, is the uh, meet the administrator, which people have then nicknamed meet the boss. Um, I don't know. Be, I haven't. It heard. used to be called meet the boss. I think. Yeah, I think in the old and now back if, under Jane Garvey, I think. <laughs> but in the but somewhere along the line, it became much more official, and it's now meet or talk yes, to it, in, it, talk to the administrator or something like that. Um, and but regular folks, attendees, get to stand up in the audience and ask questions. And uh, I got to figure that this would come up um, if the, if that session happens, which time will tell. Yeah. Speaking well, of which. I got a kick out of the uh, letter that the uh, alphabet sent. Yeah. Uh, just one sentence here made me smile. It says, and I'm quoting here, uh, the, labeling the agency's stance a reflection of, quote, unnecessary and unwarranted guidelines based upon irrational legal positions. A group of 11 aviation organizations Respond to the FAA in a joint letter calling for an immediate revision of the agency's position that this requires a, a, a letter of deviation authority uh, and that the uh, training is flying for hire when it's flying for flight instruction. You, you pay the flight instructor. Uh, and what about the guys that use their own airplanes? Uh yeah. If they're not in a uh, 135 operation, are they allowed to do that? Yeah. It just makes things crazier and crazier. Yeah, yeah it, it does. And that's really the kind of tack that I took when I first started looking at this, at this was um, if, if any – basically saying that flight instruction is a commercial operation. And that's well, – Okay. That's the real, I think, long-term danger here. And I, I think, they, they could they could put a form up on the website. Here's your loda. Sign this. Send it back to us sometime, and, and be done with this. Right. Right. Um, but they're not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's yeah. It's a mess. I mean, because it's based on. I mean, I mean you know that uh, traditionally this is this whether or not this is against some rule. It's it's a rule that's been accepted, accepted, yeah, they, for, I, forever. All right, yeah. And uh, the um, the agency has kind of given up uh, over time its ability to regulate this activity in this fashion because they chose not to do so. Yeah, for so, years, for decades. Anyways, we'll see what happens. We'll we'll we'll, we'll report back, but this has uh, got to get straightened out because you cannot prohibit flight training. That's just nuts. All right, it's like, and for those that are interested, this little bit of bureaucratic foobar uh, came from uh, an April 2 ruling by the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia, 
denying a petition to review an emergency cease and desist order issued by the FAA against Florida-based Vintage Flight School Warbird Adventures. Uh, you know, does, does I've noticed this in other courts, in the federal courts. It seems like uh, precedent it doesn't mean anything anymore. No, oh, well, yeah, okay. That's a that's we'll we'll bring that up on the on the uh, on the uh, legal industry podcast. Um, yeah. Anyways, all right. Moving on here. Uh, so you, you I, cap I, after dark. I had a, <laughs> I had a. No, I see. Okay, I had a really nice segue a minute ago, but it's gone now. Um, <laughs> so we're a little over two weeks away from uh, Air Venture Oshkosh, uh, and. Uh, it's, uh, you know, uh, in these pandemic times, it, of course, is going to be an interesting uh, air venture. Um, first of all, let me just say a few words about um, about uncontrolled airspace at at uh, uh, air venture. Um, so we going back to the spring, we, we, as everyone knows, or most people know, we chose not to attend Sun and Fun because we felt like the conditions were not conducive at that time. And I think that was still the good decision. Um, we. Hmm. I'm going to speak mostly for myself, and then I'm going to let you guys chime in here. Um, conditions have improved dramatically since the spring, and I personally believe that it is reasonably safe, with certain precautions, to hold um, an event like AirVenture. Um, and so I, you know, I sort of endorse that they are going to go ahead with AirVenture, and and I personally intend on attending, um, uh, at least for part of the week. I may or may not stay the entire week, mostly unrelated to COVID, just for personal reasons. I may not stay the whole week, but uh, but I, I do expect to go. And so uh, I'm, uh, I'm all excited, quite frankly, uh, you know, Oshkosh in general and Oshkosh returns and, and air, air fly-ins return and all this. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'm, I'm driving out on uh, a little under two weeks, two weeks from yesterday, I theoretically drive away and uh, Going to pitch my tent in uh, Camp Bacon again this year and visit with all my friends and go look at some airplanes and, and do some stuff. And uh, so uh, so there's that. Um, we, we're going to do a very limited or reduced UCAP presence at Oshkosh, even though some or all of us will be there. Um, there will not be a Sunday morning live show from the uh, from the announcer stand, um, mostly because it's unlikely that all three of us will still be there on Sunday morning. Um, we um, Sadly, we've decided to not do a tie-down party this year, and uh, I know a lot of people look forward to it us included, but, uh, for a, a number of different reasons, we're not going to do a tie down party at, at air venture this year. Um, I fully expect it will return next year, but not no tie down party this year. Um, and, uh, um, I would imagine that we will do some sort of daily episodes, um, for whatever duration we're there for. So, uh, so it's a kind of a, we're gonna, it's, it's, it's not nothing, but it's not like usual. That's, and, uh, it's going to be fun. I, I, it's going to be a crazy show. I think it's going to be huge crowds. Um, but having said that, what do you guys want to say about your intentions and plans and whatnot for air venture in two weeks? Oh my. Yeah, I know. I'm honestly on the fence right now. Yeah, but unrelated to COVID, right? You apparently... Yeah, unrelated to COVID. Um, if you want, we can just raise it that, you know, unrelated to COVID, there's personal stuff going on that makes yeah. it difficult for you to be there. That would work. Okay. Um, um, so, Jeb, what's your situation? Well, I've got a lot of conflicting uh, deadlines, uh, work, work-related work deadlines. 
uh, I also don't have a place to stay since we're not doing the trader thing again this year. And um, that's a long way for just a couple of days, which is about all the time I would, I would really have to spend. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to sit this one out. Uh, y'all can, uh, uh, I will live vicariously through you, you folks, if you go, uh, um, and, and all of, uh, all of our listeners and, uh, everybody else who I would be in contact with there. Uh, I'll be certainly looking at things online, et cetera, et cetera. Um, at the same time, I'm, I'm still a little leery of, um, of being in large crowds these days. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, I, I see, for example, um, today that uh, uh, CNN is announcing um, the United States is now averaging more than 15,000 new coronavirus, coronavirus cases per day. And there are a lot of reasons for that, um, these sorts of things. Um, and I've been vaccinated and I'm, I'm confident in the, in the vaccination, but there's a lot of unknown um, things going on. Yeah. And I just want to try to be as careful as I can and would certainly, you know, I would certainly encourage our listeners to be as careful as you can. I'm not going to condemn uh, certain activities. Uh, I might condemn some others, but uh, it is what it is. And, and as, as has been said so many times, we all have to make our own personal decisions. That's one of mine. Yeah. So it's going to be a weird um, um, air venture as far as UCAP is concerned. Um, and uh, whatever happens, happens. But uh, um, yeah. Uh, for those of you who are planning on attending um, air venture this year, uh, a, a couple of uh, sort of things that you should be aware of, I think, anyways. Um, so we always uh, we always sing the uh, sing the song of read the notum. And that's as true as it ever is, um, you need one thing you need to be on the lookout on the NOTAM this year is that they've made some interesting, not changes so much as extensions to the, uh, to the, uh, um, VFR arrival procedure. Um, the, uh, it, the legendary rip and fisk arrival has become, I was going to, I was going to look this up because it's, so it used to be that you arrived at a, at a location called Ripon. Um, and then you tr and then you flew Ripon to fit a town called Fisk, where the controllers were located, the, the, you know, the remote controllers. Um, and then from there, you followed railroad tracks into um, Whitman Field. This year, they've extended that out by two further out reporting points or, or arrival points that I, I meant to look up their names. But uh, I've got it right here. What Actually, before Ripon now, you have three uh, reporting points, and these are in order from west to east, Endeavor Bridge, which has its own uh, uh, five-letter identifier, uh, mm -hmm. intersection identifier, Puckaway Lake, I'm, I, that's a P, Puckaway Lake uh, and Green Lake um, are uh, uh, landmarks, uh, uh, easy to see, uh, easy to identify um, locations uh, on the way from west to east right. to approach Ripon. Yeah. Um, there are, um, some additional, there's additional material on these fixes. Um, after Ripon, the, um, as nearly as I can tell without a detailed comparison, after Ripon, the arrival is pretty much as it was. Um, follow the tracks to Fisk, um, follow the tracks from Fisk to, uh, um, yeah. where, uh, right to just west of the airport. And then, you know, depending on what you've been what, what way, the, how the airport, yeah, 
Yeah. And depending on which operation is in use at, at Oshkosh, you land. Yeah. It, it, it sounds like, at least in part, the reason they did this was because in the few most recent years, 19 18, and, and 18 and so forth, um, it occasionally got a bit chaotic out there, um, not only with just the normal flow of arriving traffic, but when they needed to go into the hold procedure. Um, every now and then when they have to slow down or stop arrivals at the airport, they'll have people hold. And in the past, there was just one lake out there that they would hold around. And uh, apparently, I heard stories stories about how it got a little crazy out there, people trying to, a lot of airplanes holding around the one lake. And so it seems like what the, and the, and if you, and, and everyone don't, don't do this on the basis of my description, everyone read this notum carefully, um, because there are apparently multiple different hold situations, um, and hold, um, um, holds, you know, actual tracks to hold around, um, and so forth. And I think I read that, that, everyone doesn't need to start at Endeavor. Um, I think it has to do with density and, and, and the, I think the, the, uh, the, um, ATIS or something, um, will tell you where, which is the current first arrival point or something like read the notum. It's all in there. Don't take it on my word. Yeah. There's um, a seemingly much more detailed section, if not new section about holding at Fisk. Yeah. Yeah, because and, it, uh, there were there were some scary yeah. situations apparently in the recent years. Well, there's that. It's been a couple of three years now, but there was that pretty much infamous screenshot someone took of um, their traffic display on an iPad, and it was just wall to wall. It right. was kind of zoomed out a lot, yeah. but it was just wall to wall aircraft you know, uh, at at Fisk at, at Ruppin, uh, although at over I, the airport, et cetera. Uh, that was I. I never took. The, I, I know the one your image you're talking about. It's a cool image, um, but I never took that image to be a, a new instance, a new case. The reason that image w- even existed, I, I, I submit that traffic has always been that crowded out there. I, the I difference is yeah. the difference is that in the old days, everyone would just turn off their uh, um, turn off their transponder. That was the rule. You were supposed to turn off your transponder, and as a result, there was just no way of getting that kind of data. All right, but now with ADSB. Everybody's being tracked much more in much more detail, and so that was an ADSB uh, a readout that suddenly showed us very graphically how many targets are out there. Um, and uh, but yeah, they, they so they just wanted to clean up and 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 give themselves more options and more real estate for doing the holds and doing the space the uh, the uh, spacing and and whatnot. And so and, and uh, for all you listening at home, a gentle reminder: you're not supposed to turn off your ADSB. It's in the reg. Yeah, exactly right. Um, and that's why we suddenly had that data because, because so anyways, all right. Um, read the notum, um, become the notum, become the notum. Yes. Be one. There's a a good video online. Yeah. We talk about that. Yeah. I I noticed that EAA posted a bunch of videos of what it looks like, um, along that route, um, including the new checkpoints. Yeah. Some good stuff out there. Take a look at all that stuff, you know, pre pre-brief yourself in a big way because it can be done safely. It's a good, pro- it's a good, uh, um, you know, uh, plan, um, but it involves pl- pre-planning and concentration. Pay attention. Um, so, uh, yeah, I've completely lost the window that has the list on it. Here it is over here. What's next here? Was there anything else I wanted to talk about? Uh, um, David, do you want to talk about this uh, air venture uh, fuel deal that's happening at what global air? I'm trying to find it. Oh, yeah, there we go. Stand by. Open that one. 
uh, outfit called globalair.com air venture fbo specials page returns in 2021 and this is filled with tips on cheap fuel when you're trying to get to oshkosh and the uh, map they show originates in uh, along the California Nevada border. So if you're coming from the East Coast, just, I believe they do it from there too. Uh, but the, uh, the whole thing is designed to help people who want to go to Oshkosh get to Oshkosh less expensively. And it's got a list of airports that are participating, uh, you know, with things like 20, 20 cent discount on 100 low lead truck fuel or self serve crew cars available for lunch or dinner, clean restrooms, free black coffee. That's at Perry Houston County Airport. Uh, Papa X Ray, uh, Papa X Ray Echo. Uh, places in Georgia, Illinois, uh, Indiana, all over the country. There's a lot of uh, options out there to save a few pennies uh, or a lot of pennies uh, by picking out one of these airports, landing, giving their business, uh, tell them how much you appreciate it by using their freebies. And uh, then you got money to spend at Herbie's. (laughs) And it's not just cheap fuel. A lot of these FBOs are, are kind of pulling out all the stops. Um, uh, here's one in, in Illinois. Uh, 20, first of all, it's a 25-cent discount on 100 low at a Jet A. Uh, water, coffee, popcorn, crew car, uh, camper-friendly. This is another, uh, um, another uh, airport. Camper-friendly overnight on-ramp camping, crew car, showers, full kitchen, yada, yada. Um, all kinds of snacks and, and uh, uh, amenities are also being offered. So cool. uh, it, it's not just something you can – the true um, value of this is it's not just something you can pull up on ForeFlight and look at the gas prices. Right. Um, it's a special program for – special program. All these FBOs are, have uh, a free T-shirt here in, in Dubuque, okay, with, with full-service top-off. Discounts on car rentals, local hotels, free shuttle. Yeah, you know, these kinds of things. Cool. So there's yeah. more going on here than this cheap, cheap yeah. gas. Good deal. Okay. Uh, links will be in the show notes, of course. And, uh, um, yeah, have fun getting getting to uh, to Wisconsin. It's uh, always – that's a big part of the adventure for a lot of people is, I mean, the show is great. The fly-in is great. Meeting your friends is great. But the adventure of getting there is is a big part of it, too. Yeah. <laughs> Friendly word of advice based on some recent experience. It always helps to call ahead to make sure the airport has gas. I completely forgot about this. Is this a, you want to tell this story? I don't know. I, yeah, yeah, let's move on. <laughs> let's move on. Okay. See, now we've teased it. All right. You, yeah. you may not well, be allowed to get away next time, we'll, next episode. We'll, we'll have to do it next episode. Next episode. Yeah. All right. Anyways. Uh, well, in spite of that, if you like what we're doing here with this podcast, please consider supporting it uh, with a financial donation. As little as a few dollars a month really helps us to be able to do this podcast. Uh, you can send individual donations to the UCAP tip jar via pay. PayPal. 
big thanks to uh, Tip Jar supporters, recent supporters anyways, uh, Jonathan H., uh, Michael F., David W., and, and Robert V. Thank you for your, your support through uh, PayPal Tip Jar. Um, or you can become an automatic monthly supporter of the podcast by way of Patreon. Uh, thank you to some of our uh, Patreon supporters. Uh, since the last time we did an episode, a bunch of, a handful of new Patreon supporters, Grant P., uh, Don M., Jim B., and Brian C., welcome, and thank you very much. We appreciate that. And then uh, uh, a handful of other, uh, we have a bunch of them, but let me highlight a few of our uh, uh, Patreon supporters. Uh, Steve D., Jennifer H., Timothy E., Patricia S., Mark C., Jan S., and everyone else who supports us on Patreon, you folks are the best. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, for information about providing uh, automatic monthly support, uh, you can uh, go to patreon.com slash uncontrolled airspace, or you can make PayPal donations to the email address podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com. And you can get all this information by clicking the box in the right-hand column of the UCAP homepage. That's at uncontrolledairspace.com. Uh, changing gears big way. This is, uh, I just you don't even know how to enter this particular subject. Um, the aviation world and we personally suffered a huge loss uh, this past week uh, when our friend uh, Brad Marzari, a.k.a. Launchpad, uh, was killed when his uh, airplane crashed in a field uh, in Texas, uh, apparently near, near his home base uh, in Texas. Um, you know, we, we talk about airplane crashes all the time on this podcast, and we try to be to be, uh, 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 um, you know, respectful um, about the, the, the loss in those cases. But it's it's usually pretty academic. And, and this isn't academic. Um, this this guy was a was a good friend. Um, we knew him well for years and years, and we enjoyed seeing him every time we saw him. Um, and. Uh, and, and it's just a huge loss. Uh, j- just to give you some perspective, and, and we're not alone, Jeb and Dave. Um, no. um, the, uh, so I, I put a brief um, um, condolence post on the Uncontrolled Airspace Twitter feed um, that, that day. Um, it has become the most noted tweet ever on the uncontrolled airspace tweet stream by far, by like a mult, by like a factor of 10. It's, it's incredible. The number of people who, who checked in there and either simply clicked at like, or followed up with a, with a comment, uh, a remembrance of Brad. Um, I, uh, you know, it, it, it's, you know, Brad touched a lot. I knew he touched a lot of lives. I knew this cause I knew he was so yeah. involved and he was just such a great cheerleader for general aviation uh, and such a sweet guy. Um, but, I, I it just almost took me by surprise. In a way, it didn't, but it did. Um, it, it's just just amazing. Um, and uh, I don't know. What do you guys? Anything you want to remember about about Brad Mazzari? Jeb, Dave. If you uh, met him, you'd never forget him. Yeah. That's, that's the truth. That's, you talk about larger true. than life, you know, yeah. I mean, he was a big guy physically um, and he had this great big handlebar mustache um, and, and, and a big presence, a big smile, a big presence um, and, and so much energy when it came to anything he was interested in. And uh, in our case, it was, it was, you know, in our particular situation, it was usually aviation of some sort. Um, he, he, Brad first. So my earliest, I, I first became aware of Brad when we got a, 
box. We got a package in the mail, all right? Um, and and we opened it up to discover that it was filled with these, I don't know, if, I always called them German, but someone said they might have been Swiss, but they was these, these, these chocolate bars, all right? All kinds of different chocolate bars, all right? And I think it must have been around about the time of, it was either Oshkosh or, or Sun and Fun, because the three of us were together and we held a little round robin um, draft as we split up these candy bars, everybody taking their favorites. And, uh, um, and, and it was just a great treat. Um, and that was sort of one of our first introductions to Brad and, and those chocolate bars became very much his signature. Um, yes. he, uh, he would always be carrying around a, a, a pack, um, a, a cold pack, some sort of ice pack thing that would be filled with little snack sized versions of these German and or Swiss, you know, these, these, these exotic, cool chocolate bars. And, you know, he'd always say hi and he'd reach into his bag and hand you a chocolate thing. And, and then, you know, off to the races in terms of whatever it was you were talking to Brad about. Um, it was, uh, the, the, that became very much his signature. Um, he, when we first met him, he was, um, Brad was an, was an American citizen. Um, I didn't realize that at first because when we first met him, he was living in Germany. Um, and I later realized that that was because that was his work was in, in Germany. Um, and he would travel from Europe to the U S each year to go to the fly-ins. And, uh, um, and then in later years he got relocated and he settled in Texas and that's where he's been for many years now. Um, he, uh, I was always jealous of Brad for having gone through the motions and gotten the training and gotten certified to be an official crew member for, I believe it was the Fifi, the, uh, the 29. Right. Yeah. Um, and so he got to fly as a crew member on Fifi um, from time to time, and that was very, very cool. Uh, Brad became a representative of Pipistrel, uh, one of the uh, uh, aircraft manufacturers, and he was particularly passionate about their electric aircraft program and was always pitching um, the, the, uh, the, the strengths of that program. Um, and uh, he, uh, you know, he was somehow into balloons, I think. Um, he, he was into uh, he was into all kinds of aviation. He loved aviation. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Brad was what I call a stone aviation junkie. There you go. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he, he was definitely um, every, everything about it he was interested in. And uh, his enthusiasm made you interested in it. Yeah. Uh, he was you know, a fixture at a lot of different events that we've attended you know, or, or been responsible for over the years. Uh, and um, um, was definitely one of a kind. Um he will be missed. He, I, he was a, a big time uh, um, friend of, of this podcast and friends of us, uh, a friend of us individually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, his enthusiasm, um, his uh, gregariousness, yep. uh, if, if that's the correct word, I think it uh, is. Yeah. will always be remembered and always appreciated. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, so I, I say that the first time we sort of, became aware of Brad was with the chocolate, the box of chocolates incident. In, in later years, I discovered that we had actually met Brad on the podcast a couple of years before that. Um, the second time we went to sun and fun and we were doing, um, one of our full blown episodes from the deck there at, uh, at, at sun and fun radio. And, uh, we had, we had, uh, uh, various listeners who were standing sort of just outside the railing, um, listening to what we were doing, uh, remarkably. And, uh, um, 
and and I took a hand mic and went out to the railing to talk to some of these people, and uh, and it was and I've known this for many years now, but I didn't know it when we got the chocolate that one of the people I spoke to that day was Brad Marsari, um, and and I you know if you go back to listen to UCAP episode seventy seven from April of '08. Um, you will hear us talking to, or me talking to, uh, saying hello to Brad, and he introduced himself and described himself from being from Stuttgart, Germany. And uh, I don't think the subject of chocolate came up at that time, but uh, <laughs> but um, he, was, I believe, he said that was his first time to uh, to Sun and Fun, and uh, and that he was looking forward to attending Oshkosh in the future. And uh, you know, so uh, I think I think he did that follow. That later I don't know if he year. made it that year. Or, I mean that. 08 or whether it, maybe that was his 09 trip back to the States or something like that. But yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, our condolences to his family and his friends. Yes. And uh, there's just no way around it. Uh, there are very few like him to begin with. We're short one like him now and he will be missed. He will. He will definitely be missed. Ah. Uh, Another bit of follow-up here. Um, a couple episodes ago, we talked about the uh, military drone. Um, I believe it was a Reaper. It was one of the distinctive big military drone aircraft that you see from time to time um, that is flown remotely from a uh, from a, uh, a, a you know remote trailer operation, um, and and it crashed. And the reports were the reason it crashed was because of some weirdness to the flight controls, how the flight controls were not distinctive and the controller accidentally pulled the wrong lever at the wrong time. Um, And we were kind of amazed that it would be designed that way. Well, we heard from a listener, uh, listener Travis C., um, who uh, turns out is a uh, a flight instructor for this, these exact aircraft. Um, and, uh, and he sent a kind of a long, I'm not going to try and do this entire, uh, uh, response. We'll put the link on the show notes and you can read it in detail, uh, and check out this picture that he sent along here. Um, he says, uh, he says, I've been meaning to write in for some time. Uh, so when you discussed the MQ nine engine failure on takeoff story, uh, uh, on takeoff, the story in episode uh, 1028, I immediately had many comments and additional information from my wheelhouse to provide you guys, you fine fellows, he says. He says, while, while all of the, and he go, he's quick to point out, he says, all of the comments and opinions below are my own and do not in any way represent the views of the U.S. Air Force. I do, he says, happen to have a lot of MQ-9 experience. I am an MQ-9 instructor and evaluator pilot with over 1,500 total hours in the Reaper and am also an Air Force Safety Center aviation mishap investigator. He says, your reaction to the story in, um, um, your reactions to the story are spot on, he writes. Many of the MQ-9 pilots find the cockpit's ergonomic layout to be very suboptimal, he writes, especially regarding the control pedestal layout. Uh, the reference you make to be, there being FAA standardized control designs, knobs and being function-specific shape and color, etc., is true, but it does not, unfortunately, apply to the MQ-9, right. he writes, um, as, as the MQ-9 is not an FAA-certified aircraft, uh, which, he writes, has and continues to cause many headaches for MQ-9 operations in the U.S. Um, there's a lot here, and I'm, and I'm going I'm to stop there unless you guys want to read some, of, you know, summarize some of the rest of it here. But uh, 
um, it's very, very interesting. Um, you know, amazingly, we weren't that far wrong. <laughs> we kind of got it right this, this time. This time, you know, yeah. It's too. Stay tuned. E- we'll, we'll screw something up in the future. But uh, yeah, David, I'm sorry. Even a blind squirrel finds a nut once. <laughs> That's right. That's right. A stopped clock. Um, so uh, there's a picture here of the uh, of the control stations um, and uh, and and a lot of detail that you should read if you're interested. Um, yeah. And uh, um, so I don't know if there's much to add to this except to say that wow. And uh, uh, you know it'd be bad enough if these were like combat environment only aircraft but they're obviously flying them at least sometimes somehow in the u.s airspace and so you'd like to think that they were i don't know not this but uh yeah you kind of wonder though um how difficult it would have been when you created this control suite um how difficult it would have been to just use kind of off the shelf um Knobs, I mean, like and and, it, and, and, and levers and and stuff. Yeah, but like the ones that are used in traditional aircraft. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you go on sporties and you can buy a uh, a nice cockpit, uh, um, a nice set of cockpit controls for not that much money uh, that are that imitate FA standard and uh, certainly could have been used here if you have to splice a couple of wires. So what? I don't know. The whole thing just kind of. Is, uh, it, you know. it, it's pretty weird. I remember reading a story at one point, one time, where um, they're they're actually using that. Tra- so there's the traditional game controller, you know, the sort of Xbox game controller. We've all seen sure. them a million times. I read someplace that um, the military was either experimenting or actually using those literal game controllers as the input device to various military combat equipment. Um, and the rationalization being that the the young people who they are bringing into the military and training up on this stuff are intimately familiar. They have the muscle memory to yeah. operate these controllers from playing the games over the years. And and as weird as that sounds, it, it it's not in that's that actually makes some sense to me. You know, it almost I don't know. Um, so uh, well, they also have you know the the. Um distinction of having been mass produced um parts are readily available yeah um yeah. they're light they're small you know things like this I, uh, but yeah I, i'm just thinking that you know one thing to consider here is that the that the the young people that they're training up to operate these things aren't for the most part training for for a career flying aircraft that's not you know it's a whole different kind of thing and they just need to get them trained up for their military purpose and and i don't know i mean it sounds to me like this is suboptimal i don't like the way they've done this but but i can see an argument that doing it as a traditional aircraft is kind of unnecessary because that's just not where they're headed and uh i don't know it's weird but uh and it clearly caused a problem in this one particular case um, where the where the controller grabbed the wrong lever and resulted in ended up in in killing the engine as opposed to retracting. Who among us, right? Who among yeah. us? I guess so, huh? I guess so, huh? Anyways, all right. Well, we're reaching the end of our allotted time here. I think I'm going to flip over the rest of the cards. And, uh, thanks uh, for that, Travis. 
Yeah. yeah thank absolutely. you. Tra- thank yeah, you, Travis. Absolutely. And uh, um, um, I've tried to be discreet here. I hope it sounds like you know what you're in, talking about in terms of security and revealing. And But uh, we're, we're trying not to reveal too much information about your situation. We, we appreciate the info, though. Um, anyways. 1,500 hours in the Reaper? Yeah, I'd say he's experienced. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's definitely Jack, experienced. Jack Airman training, yeah. Definitely experienced as a as a, uh, as a f- aircraft operator. Um, you know, the I only thing hope- I cr- critique that uh, pilot control station about is no windshield. <laughs> You're talking about all kinds. It's the, infamous, it's the ultimate glass cockpit right there. Uh, Anyways, thank you guys. Appreciate it. It's fun. Um, Jeb Burnside. Uh, Jeb is a uh, freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Um, he's also a regular contributor to other aviation publications online. You can find Jeb's work at aviationsafetymagazine.com, and his magazine is on Twitter um, um, as avsafetymag. You can also find him at aea.net and avweb.com. And on Twitter, he is Burnside J. And thanks to uh, Dave Higdon. Dave is an aviation photographer and aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's Av Buyer magazine. You can find his work online at avbuyer.com and aea.net on Twitter. He is Real Higdon. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, freelance writer, and a digital media producer. You can find me online in most of the places with the uh, all-one-word username Jack Hodgson. For example, Twitter slash Jack Hodgson, YouTube Jack Hodgson, Patreon Jack Hodgson. Uh, You can find my uh, relatively new uh, email newsletter um, uh, revived around the field uh, in the form of a newsletter. And you can find that at around the field. Uh, I believe it's, I see, I should have it in front of me here. Hang on. I've got it right here. It is aroundthefield.substack.com. Um, or you can go to aroundthefield.net for information about that and, uh, check that out. Subscribe if you like, it's free. Um, and, uh, I think that's it. Uh, we're going to uh, end this episode a little bit differently than we usually do. Um, so uh, let's um, go back and listen to a short clip from UCAP episode uh, 077 from Sun and Fun in April of 2008. And we'll talk to you all again next time. While our next friend uh, moves in and has a seat there, I wanted to say hi. We actually have a couple of listeners here, and I wanted to say hi. So I, I won't embarrass you too much, I promise. All right, but you can tell tell me your name. Hi, I'm Brad Marzari from Stuttgart, Germany. That's great. And so, are you here just for sun and fun, or we're here on vacation? But we made it a point to spend at least two days down here at Sun and Fun. So, what do you think? Have you been here before? No, this is my first big air show like this. I've done a lot of the European air shows, which are much more restrictive. And this is, the thing I want to emphasize is the fun here and the friendliness. Walking down the Warbird line, having people, you know, let you look at the airplanes, even, you know, touch the airplanes. We got to crawl inside a B-25, as opposed to when you go to Europe, the airplanes are behind a corral and it's like you can look. That's great. So you think you'll come back again? Oh, yeah. Uh, this is a, you know, it's amazing. I was amazed how big it was. So I'm definitely going to come back. I don't know if we'll be able to do a vacation next year. We may shoot Oshkosh next year. I don't know. But this has been a definitely fun, high point of the vacation. And we're just getting started. That's terrific. Thank you. Appreciate it. And thanks for listening to the podcast. Stay in touch. Send us email. Go into the forums and let us know what's going on here.